Experience is the hardest kind of teacher. It gives you the test first and the lesson afterward. Oscar Wilde. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I Hello, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, co-host of the podcast. Join once again, finally, it feels like it's been a few episodes with my co-host, Perry Hughes. Perry, you've been gallivanting around the world. You've been cruising around the Caribbean. Welcome back, brother. How, uh, how have your past couple of weeks been? Fantastic. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking. We did spend some time on a cruise ship, which uh, was great fun with the kids, uh, my in-laws, uh, mother and father-in-law, and then my... Uh, brother-in-law, his wife, their kids. Uh, we had a great time on the cruise. And then after that, we did a little bit of camping in kind of northern central Florida, saw some springs and just had a big time with the kids. So we did about a week and it was super fun. Cool. Very cool. And welcome to the show, Corey Wilson. Corey, how are you doing this morning? Fantastic. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, well, glad to have you. And we have invited Corey on to have a conversation, I don't know, just about fatherhood, faithful fatherhood in general, but maybe with a specific bent towards raising teenage daughters, which is just his reality right now. So we're going to tease out some some concepts around that. He said something a couple of weeks ago that really struck me in sort of a deep way as I'm thinking about my own fathering, which sort of was the the impetus to invite him on the show now to have that conversation. So we'll get there. Corey and I, Corey and I know each other originally from CrossFit, right? I think that's how you and I met when mm-hmm. I first moved to Knoxville. Yep. Yeah. How's your how's your dad bod going, by the way, these days? It's it's many many times looks like a dad bod. Uh, you know, some days good, some days bad. I'm I, you know I have a little app where I compare my fitness to a 25 year old, and I'm I'm falling further and further away. But uh, <laughs> which you know, makes aim sense. I and, yeah. and and barely met. Yeah, yeah, because I am further and further away. Yeah, <laughs> but staying fit, <laughs> intentional about that, which is awesome. And he runs a, a wealth management team here in Knoxville. So that's sort of his background. I'm sort of getting a kick out of this for those of you who can't see us visually, right? This is this is audio only on podcast. We have Corey who's dressed like a financial planner. So he's clearly in an office building, like ready to make things happen, dealing with big money. And then we got Perry sort of in the middle. He's kind of wearing flannel. He runs a gym. Yeah. And I look like I have a newborn. I'm in a ratty old sweatshirt. I barely <laughs> got back from dropping my kids off at school. My eyes are glazed over. So we're a, we're a sight. But anyway. Uh, Corey, it's good to, it's good to have you on. I'm excited for this conversation and yeah, man, let's just, let's dive in. Maybe you can give us just a little bit of background sort of on your, on the current state of your, your fathering journey. Tell us about, just about your family, uh, how many kids you have, their ages. And, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your family as we get started. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I was telling my wife this morning, you know, I'm, I'm recording this podcast, um, with Brett and Perry this morning, and I I feel pretty ill-equipped to speak to you know other than uh, I'm a guy who depends on grace probably as much as anyone. Uh, my, my background, so I've been married 20 years this this March. Uh, so my wife and I got married. Uh, we were engaged our last year of college. Got married a month or two after college um, on March 1st, and you know pretty Congrats. young. We were 23 at the time. Thank you. Um, That's awesome. And had kid. Our first daughter was born at age 26, and so. For my contemporaries, anyway, that mid 40s we, we're kind of on the 
we were kind of in the beginning of a phase where people weren't having kids as early. Um, and so it's kind of unique uh, in terms of some of our peers weren't exactly always our age. Um, but our kids are now uh, junior in high school, uh, oldest daughter, junior in high school, and then our youngest daughter is in seventh grade. Um, and so, you know, and, and as I mentioned the other the other day when you heard me say this, it's the perfect storm. It's the perfect blessing. Um, but you know, I've got two redheaded and they fit the stereotype teenage daughters, and uh, <laughs> you can't imagine uh, anything better. Um, and I can't have never experienced anything harder. Yeah. Um, than what, what that looks like. So that, that's the background. Yeah. And you sort of joked about, ah, oh, feeling ill-equipped to talk about it, but that's exactly why we're equipped to talk about it. I mean, all we're doing is just talking about the realities of our journey, but I do know you to be a man who, who is God fearing, who is trying to raise your daughters though, with direction from what, what you're learning from your heavenly father. I mean, you're, you're bringing that element to the table. And so we certainly want to talk about that aspect of things and, and lesson learned and what, what you think you've done well and where the challenges are, because Perry and I need to figure that out. Right. So Perry, Perry has a daughter, uh, who's how old, how old's Ruby? Ruby. Yeah. <clears throat> so Ruby is my fourth child. I have three sons and then a daughter and she's the youngest and she is nine years old, about to be 10 in May. So double digits coming up on the horizon. That's a big birthday when you go from single digits to double. And, uh, you know, she's different than the sun. She, 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 I'll tell y'all a quick, funny story. I don't want to take up too much time today, but, um, Nancy and I got each other this fancy espresso maker machine, uh, as Christmas presents towards each other. And we, I have, uh, taught Ruby how to barista. So it's not, you know, it's a fancy espresso machine, but there is some, uh, there's some user input. You know, if you don't tamp the thing hard enough, then the, the pull is bad and the coffee tastes burnt, you know, and there's, it's the frother where you're holding it and it's, and you're frothing (laughs) it, you know, the milk and all the things. Right. So I taught Ruby and she's loves it. She's actually loved coffee from a little age. We give her a little, sips of coffee, probably, I don't know, uh, maybe not the most brilliant thing to do with a, a young baby or a toddler or whatever. We'd give her just a little sip, you know, drop it into hit, her bottle when she was hit, an just a little taste, you know, yeah. but anyway, uh, she loves making uh, lattes for my wife and I in the morning, she just gets up and she's excited to make us latte. We homeschool our kids. So there's not a big, huge, crazy rush to get off to school. Well, this morning, um, in an effort to me be in town earlier, I made myself my own latte before coming, you know, leaving the house and coming to town for the podcast. And she came upstairs in tears because she was so sad that I made my own latte instead of her making it. Right. And so there's definitely this emotional level, uh, hormonal level that doesn't exist with the boys. You know, it's there with the girls. So I, I would only imagine at nine, about to be 10. I'm barely like this is like the peak of the iceberg probably. Am I right in assuming that? It's and that's beautiful, right? So so in that when she's crying, you're not you're not uh saying, you know, don't cry, that's silly. Sure. Scooped that's a, that's a moment and it's a, it's just a beautiful moment between father and daughter and you know, I think the reality is that my girls were always my little and part of part of what the challenge of, of teenagers is there's these little dear, your girls, they were both daddy's girls. Like, I mean, I, I never took the, um, 
you know, this, these are paternal roles and these are maternal roles. Like I was, I was, you know, I'll pick them up when they're crying. I'll, I'll rock them. I would do reading, all of it. And so that's the kind of the challenge is when that emotion, that sensitivity starts to look different in that second decade uh, of raising the child, um, especially when, when, when it was such a, and it still is a beautiful thing, but just it looks different. Right. Um, you know, how to, how to handle that is, is where the, the tension lies. Well, so let's let let's settle there. I mean, how how do you handle sure. that? And let, actually, let me let me ask you: Is the stereotype of redheads correct? I mean, you you joked about that earlier, but are they fiery? <laughs> are your daughters fiery? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and something it's funny. One thing I've learned, and 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 I've had to admit to my wife in the last few months, is some of the most challenging parts of their personality uh, are inherited from me. <laughs> and so it's one thing to have that. It's one, but it's another thing to guide that uh, in someone else. And so, yeah, they're, they're very strong-willed, very stubborn, very fiery. Um, it can be a, it can be a beautiful thing and it can be a challenging thing depending on how you're guiding and, 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 you know, as a teenager going through adolescence, the ability to regulate that, which I didn't have at age, mm-hmm. well, for a long, I still don't sometimes, but, but certainly in my adolescent years, the ability to regulate that, you know, is a challenge. Yeah, that's, that's a great thing. And, you know, <clears throat> we have a strong-willed son, our second born, very strong-willed. Our third son is also pretty strong-willed. And we read a book many, many years ago that I would highly recommend to anybody with a strong-willed kid at any age, whether your kid is two years old or they're 22 years old. And it's the book um, by a lady named Cynthia something. I'll have to look it up. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's called You Can't Make Me, But I Can Be Persuaded. You know the book? That's great. Yeah. Uh, And I don't, but I love the title. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. It's a fantastic book. And it's all about, hey, heads up, mom, heads up, dad. Uh, if you have a strong-willed kid, guess what? They got it from somewhere. Maybe go take a look in the mirror, you know, have a little laugh about that. Um, but this this idea that we need to quit trying to force our children into this path, but we can give them some options. We can end, end all of our instructions with a question mark and the word okay. And it's just this simple tactic of ending an instruction with a questionary tone and the word okay. We're going to put our shoes on right now, okay? And that just changes the game for that strong-willed kid. So um, great book. And one thing that my wife and I really bolted up to that it took a minute of realization. We don't want to, we don't want to break the strong-willed spirit out of our child. Mm-hmm. We right. want to manifest that. We want to, we want to uh, honor that strong-willed spirit. We want to tell our kid, oh, you this is beautiful how strong-willed you are. But it's our God-given responsibility to try to help steer that strong-willed spirit in the right direction. We want our kids to be strong-willed for the right things, you know? Absolutely. Because it's a strong will that, that allows them to lead later in life. It's a strong will that, you know, I don't quit things very easily. Right. Well, that, there, there's a reason. I, you know, I don't necessarily follow the crowd if I don't think that's the right decision. So, yes. so properly pointed, a strong will is a beautiful thing. It's an asset. How have you grown sticking on this theme for a moment? Because I resonate with what you said, Corey, that sometimes the things that drive me the craziest about my boys, if I look in the mirror, they're exactly the way that I am or was at their age. And it took 
a wise and observant wife to point that out on occasion, you know, and she's, she's like, have you realized that the things that drive you craziest about Jackson, Ben, Declan, that's kind of the way you are, you know? And I was like, <laughs> you know, at first I didn't want to hear it. I was like, ah, get away from me, devil. Are you? Uh, <laughs> but then I was kind of like, oh, okay. And, it, and even just the, that simple observation has made me more patient, more a little bit more empathetic. I've had to just be a little bit more tolerant in those things. Um, for you, Corey, if you've seen some of some of your nature manifesting through your daughters, what what has your own growth journey been, maybe along those lines? Well, you hit you hit. I mean, one of the first things is just having a spouse um, by your side. Um, you know, for the folks out there doing it alone, it, it, I can't imagine the the level of grace needed to for that. But just having a partner. Um, who can encourage you, who can call you out. If that's, if that, you know, Hey, get a look in the mirror. Here's what I see here. Do you see it? Um, is, is so important. Um, I do think just maturing is, is part of it. I mean, look, the, the reality is, is if you, if you dive into things that aren't going to really help you in that role in life, you know, if I spend all my time right here, uh, helping my clients. I could be a great advisor to my clients, but I'm not going to be a great father to my kids. And so what are the things that are going to, going to, going to sharpen that ax, you know, and, and number one, that's, that's just getting into the word and letting God, the father shape me, the father, um, that that's the number one thing and the Holy spirit changing the way every day, hopefully a little bit better changing the way I proactively act and then reactively react, um, to, to this relationship with my girls. Yeah. Before we talk too much maybe about some of the challenges of daughters who transition to teenage daughters, because I think that's an important theme. I know there are a lot of listeners who who probably find themselves in that situation. And and I wanted I you know, I have a newborn uh daughter, and so I'm I'm a little bit further away from that than you guys are. I'm sure Perry's eager to hear some of your learnings. But let's talk about the the joys. What what have you enjoyed about having daughters? Did you always want to be a father? Did you want girls? Uh, and even if you didn't want girls, what have been, like what have been the highlights of being a girl dad? Yeah, so when I say ill-equipped, that 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 is partly in jest, but partly true. Um, and so I grew up one of three boys. Um, we my my dad was one of seven kids, and 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 so in the middle part of the state of Tennessee, we were pretty close to our cousins, and they were all boys. And so I think there were like my little brother was the ninth or tenth of this line of boy, 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 boy. You know. And so just being around adolescent girls was something I had very, I had no experience with. None. Yeah. Um, I would, I did always, you know, I don't remember necessarily, you know, sitting as, as I'm in college thinking I can't wait to be a dad, but that was always my vision. I always knew, you know, and felt called. Um, and when I gave my heart to the Lord felt called to, you know, uh, family and, and what that looks like and having kids. Um, you know, when you, when you're having a kid, you're wanting them to be healthy and, and who God wants them to be. And so I, I wasn't one of these guys that, Oh shoot, I was really hoping for a boy that that was never a big thing with me. Um, but gosh, I, when they're young, what I did know, and some of this is let me, you know, trying to overcorrect for some of my own experiences, but I, I want to be so affectionate, so present, so there with these girls um, and, and there was a, just a sense of satisfaction and pride in, in our relationship, really all the, and, and still is, you know, um, but all these years when they're, when they're young kids, 
Um, and so I, I don't know if I answered your question the way you ask it, but yeah, that that's the background. And yes, I always saw myself as a father and, and yes, I, I, I am ill-equipped uh, in and of what I can bring to the table and experientially I'm ill-equipped because I just never, whereas my wife is one of three girls, right? There's a lot that she experiences that is no surprise to her whatsoever. She's the oldest too. So she literally witnessed this through the lens of someone who's slightly older as, as, a, as a girl goes from 11 to 12 to 13 up to, you know, and, and, and watching it. And so she's seen this. I haven't. Right. And you talked about how you, you and your wife don't necessarily have, you know, clear distinctions and roles per se, and you're all there and you're obviously changing diapers and braiding hair and doing, you know, like doing all of those types of right. things. But would you say there are some things that are uniquely the father's role with respect to raising daughters? And what are some things, what are some roles that your wife has had to play, especially as, as I think about transitioning, you know, as, as, as they grow through adolescence, right? I think about some of the conversations, puberty conversations, all those types of things that I've had with my sons, I'm kind of thinking, well, I, I think that's maybe a conversation my wife's going to have to have with my daughters, you know, or is that not necessarily the case? Have you seen any sort of distinction? Are, are there areas where there is a role more for the father to play and a role more for the mother to play as your daughters have transitioned to teenagers? I, I do think I do think through that transitionary period, those roles do become, um, in some ways, more distinct. Uh, I, and I think you hit you hit one on the head in the, in terms of this is what adulthood looks like. Th- these are the things that your 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 body's going through. Um, you know, the sexual conversations. What 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 do we what is natural and built in, but not yet. And 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 some of those things that that I, and and I'm not the best at. And now my wife would laugh if. If she heard me talking about this, I'm not the best at those conversations with girls. I'm, and and I mean by that I mean I'm the worst. Um, I just <laughs> don't don't like the conversation. Uh, yet you can't you can't shy away to the point uh, of you know being absent either. Right, right. That doesn't help anything. And so this the transitionary period, mainly my focus has still been presence. I'm here. Yeah. Come what may. The father's here. You you're mad at the father the moment you turn. I'm still here and present, but the moment you turn around, there's a a, a literal or figurative embrace waiting for you. Um, and so that's been that's been I think a role and mother too. But I just mean from the father's perspective, that's a role that that cannot change. Um, some of those conversations, as far as you know, your your body and puberty and all that, I do think the mom comes in in a strong way for a daughter there. Um, I, I think the dating conversation become is kind of its own thing. Yeah, and you know that's that's I have some pretty strong biases there that have times been been helpful. I have times been a bit of an obstacle in terms of the conversation with my daughters and, and what does that look like. Um, and, and so I, I think I've been very present there. But I, I again, I think that's one of your big challenges is you know, and and I'd love to ask God someday. You know, this adolescence thing is is just. It'd be nice just to go from, you know, 10, 11, and they're an adult, but he chose not to, he chose transition and growth and, and progressive maturity rather than instant maturity. Uh, so maybe there's something to learn there, but, you know, I came from this background of you know, just my own sin nature, um, uh, of, of doing all the wrong things in terms of dating and things like that. And so, you know, part of, when you talk about, seeing yourself in them. I just don't want to see 
my old self. I don't want to see them walk through some of those mistakes as it, as it comes to dating the opposite sex before our minds or, or bodies are anywhere close to ready for that level of, of commitment and connection. Uh, and so having seen it done wrong, I'm just, you know, I'm very much wanting to, to guard their heart and guard their actions. And, and sometimes that works, but, but there is a natural thing. You're all three of us are married, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't just, what, what, uh, just by the curiosity, how, what, how old were you guys when you got married? 26. I, I, I also was 26. I was 26. I think I was 20. I was either 22 or 23. Okay. So, so all three of us were in or approaching our mid twenties. Yeah. It wasn't at those date that at those days that we started being attracted to the opposite sex. Right. Right. And so that, it's not unnatural that a 15 year old girl or a 16 year old girl wants to catch the eye or has the eye or whatever of a boy. So how do you walk them through that? I mean, again, I'm not the first dad or the last dad that's going to do it, but those are, that's just some background of why that's a challenge as they're transitioning from the little girl who I'm reading to every night to something, something different. And is there, is there a level of um, vulnerability or honesty that you share with your daughter? I know there are different ages, but you know, in that to say, Hey, this is some of my personal experience that I'm going to share with you that I want to help you stay away from? Like, what is your approach in trying to be the best influence, you know, as your daughters get into this period of, you know, physical attraction towards, you know, uh, boys or men? How do you begin to do that process, you know? That's tough. And I, and I think you hit a couple things that are important. It's timing matters. Um, so I'm not going to unload to my 11 year old, you know, some of the things that I could have conversations with to my 16 year old. Right. Um, but I do think intentionality matters in that. And I think we as fathers have a really bad tendency to just cover it up and bury it and it's gone and God's forgotten it. And so I'm not telling you about any of that. And, and, and that's a natural, and I do think that's a bit of a natural self-preservation, uh, defense mechanism too. But I just don't think that helps anything. There's There are points where you can say, let me tell you why this matters. Let me tell you what I went through. And let me tell you the pain and hurt it caused. And let me tell you uh, why, why some of that um, why some of that even led into some healing I needed to do before I got married. And, mm-hmm. and just, just a bigger picture. And let me tell you why that led to the cross and and why grace I'm so dependent on grace in my life is here here's the here's the ultimate answer to that and so you know not a license you know you, I think we fear that oh gosh if I tell them these things it's going to be a license right for them to do yeah oh, there's that, that thought for it. sure um and I think that's possible but I also think you just can't you know this is not us laughing about stupid things with our buddies this is telling yeah. our kids this is what happened. And let me tell you about the real pain, the real consequences of these things and, and why it really mattered from a bigger, bigger, and and the timing matters. So there's things, again, I can have them. And that's, what's cool now with my 16 year old, there are conversations we can have now that are totally different, even than just a year or 18 months ago. Sure. Um, I'm always curious to hear how other fathers are doing it. If you're willing to share, what are some of your guardrails? What are some of your rules around dating? Is it a certain age? Is your 16 year old dating yet? What are, what are some of the conversations maybe you have had with your girls about expectations around dating? 
Brett, it's evolving. I'll tell you that. You know, um, I, I don't think there's a right answer, and I don't think this is my law, so you should follow it. Ever works. Um, where I'm talking to other dads, or and 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 in general, um, I you know just a little bit of background. I came I came through um, age 20 when the old book I Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know there's been a lot of you know, and I know where he's at now uh, in his walk, um, but. There was some of the content in there that that I would say you got to be careful of, but there was some of the content in there that I think is really important as well in terms of, you know, let's not do married things. And I'm not just talking about sexually. I'm talking about heart-wise and, and connection-wise. Let's not act married when we're not married. Let's not be a 15-year-old and, and, and acting, like, acting like we're a married couple at age 25. And, and so being intentional about uh, guarding your heart and not – dating all these people would have been really helpful for me if I'd have read that book and, and submitted my life to, to God earlier uh, at age 15. I read it at 20, um, and it did help me up until the point where I got married in terms of when I met my wife, the light bulb went off, and I was like, okay, this is who I want to pursue, and I had spent some time not you know, wasting time. So I say all that to say that's my bias. I've seen, the, I've seen unhealthy, and I've seen healthy in my own life. Um, and so with my daughters, th- there was a long time. It was just like, no, no dating, no dating, no dating. Um, and then my daughter, when she was probably about 15, um, you know, was, was asking, was asking, was asking. And I realized there was a point where, uh, until when, you know, until they go mm-hmm. to college, you know, is, is the best wisdom in my, in my home for me to lay this law down where either they're going to, you know, maybe they submit, maybe they rebel. Um, uh, but, but lay this law down and then boom, freedom when you go to college. Yeah. When you're not under our roof, when you can't make the mistake, when you can't come back and say, this is why this hurts and, and mom and I can walk her through it. And so I, I did a little bit of a shift where I said, look, there's still going to be some guardrails, um, as far as, you know, this boy's going to come to the door. We're going to meet him. We're not, you're not going to go, I'm going out with Kevin and we don't know who Kevin is. Um, yeah, that's just wisdom. He's not going to be, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, simple little things like, you know, nobody's going to your room. We don't have to worry about a door being shut. He's not going to be in your room. Right. Um, you know, and so there, there are certain guardrails that's just, there, that are very obvious there as we allowed that to begin happening. Um, and what we learned, at least with the, our oldest, uh, is that was probably healthy that, yeah, she was with a guy. He ended up being, you know, what he was and, and a little bit of heartbreak, a little bit of lesson learned. And we were there and, and, and communication as we walked with her through that. And that's, that was a really healthy thing. Um, I just, I, I, again, I think that's a hard thing for me because of my biases. It's a waste of time at this age. It's a waste of time for you and the boy, but I don't care about the boy like I do you, but it's a waste of time. Um, and it could be, the consequences could be worse. And if I'm living in fear, that's a really easy place to go when you talk about the consequences of, of these unhealthy relationships. And so I think, I think you got to be careful not to live in fear. You got to have the guardrail on one side and the other um, in terms of protecting them, but recognizing you can't just send them away and say, all right, now figure it all out. Right. Not, that's not healthy either. This conversation really, I think, opens the door for another aspect of fathering that that really I think again precipitated inviting you onto the show, 
which was a comment you made along these lines with respect to experience and ultimately experience being the best teacher. You said something earlier already where you said, you know, it, I've walked through some mistakes and now I want to protect my daughters essentially from the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. sure. And yet how much can we really protect them? How much we try to teach them all the lessons. We desperately want them not to make the same mistakes we did. But at what point are we sheltering them? At what point are we being too restrictive? And what is the role then of experience? How, how do we allow our kids then the freedom as they become teenagers to figure things out for themselves? They're their own individuals, right? How do, how do you allow your daughters to learn from experience even if you see them hurting, potentially hurting themselves? That's the hard part, right? Can you imagine being the Heavenly Father watching us go through the things we do? Uh, because we love them, you know? That's right. And, and there are moments, sheltering is not always a bad thing. Shelters can keep us from getting washed away in the storms. Um, but there's a point at which we, we don't learn to stand in storms either if we're, we're being sheltered too much. And so I think it's progressive. Um, I do think you, you, every parent comes, you, you know, and you, you, you've got this helicopter parent mentality that's now gone to the lawnmower parent mentality of I'm just going to go mow everything down. That's uh, an obstacle for you. And, and you have a kid that, that can come out having faced nothing. And then when, when life, you know, does what it does to them, they react in a way that, you know, a kid who's faced nothing would react. Yeah. So you can't have that. You've got to intentionally, and this is so against, I think what is a good nature in us, which is to love and protect, but to intentionally allow a kid, um, to go out and make that mistake, um, to take the training wheels off the bike, even though, you know, they're going to fall and skin their knee. Um, to to do to take those training wheels off in life over and it it is anxiety causing, um, it is it is a challenge, you know, in many ways, um, but it's a it's also a faith walk, right? I mean, at the, at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, you you've really got to decide and remind yourself, wait a second, these are my kids as much as they're God's kids. Wait a second, He loves them even more than I do. Also, there's some scriptures and some promises about taking care of them, and I'm really a steward here. And so, if I'm a steward of these of these of these adults, I mean, I heard it said once you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. And so, yeah. thinking of what what brings that adult to maturity more, me guarding them every little step of the way, or me allowing the mistake and bringing them back in, and allowing the mistake and bringing them back in. I think the latter works a little better. It's heartbreaking all the way around. Uh, you know, when the kid skins their knee, I'm, I'm crying cause they're hurting. They're crying cause they're hurting. Um, but there is also a father picking them up and bringing them in and, and offering comfort and healing in that. So I think all that kind of goes into it. Um, long winded way to say is it is progressive. And I do think what, what the, the amount of space you give has to change as that kid gets older and you have to be intentional about it. At what age does this happen? So I just had a conversation because I imagine the amount of freedom you give your 16-year-old is different than the 11-year-old. Right. When right. did that sort of change? We just had a conversation with our 13-year-old uh, that basically went as follows. Look, Jackson, you're, you know, you're, you're transitioning into young, young adulthood. And our relationship at this point 
can either be a relationship based on trust and freedom or a relationship based on rules. And you get to decide which it's going to be. That's, that's yeah. good. And what do you mean? Just meaning, are you going to show us that you're worthy or that you're deserving of, that you have earned the freedom that we would love for you to have? Or are you still going to live in a rule-based relationship with us for a little while longer? And so I don't know if it's right or wrong, but we sort of put the burden on him at this point as a 13-year-old. For you, when did that transition maybe start to happen for your 16-year-old in a way that it maybe hasn't yet as an 11-year-old? And how did you incrementally give a little bit more rope to your daughter to start to experience some of the things that, that she's going to have to walk out on her own? You no, know, I think you hit the nail on the head, and I think your analogy is perfect. We tell our kids the same thing. Um, you know, when we we're gonna we're gonna extend the rope, we're gonna extend the leash. Though I don't love that analogy, <laughs> leash necessarily. We're gonna extend trust, and every decision you make is building or breaking trust. And, and so we we had this conversation with our thirteen year old last night. Like, uh, you know, we've had to bring in some of the trust. And, and I told her, I said, you know, you're really building a fence around yourself. You like to do this, and you like to do that, and you. But you are fencing off your choices by these choices. And I would encourage you to build trust, and you'll find freedom comes from that because yeah. we trust you. Uh, and it is incremental. And so, you know, we found, and I think you're about that age where you're finding it with our oldest, about 11, 12, 13, is where they start. I kind of want to go hang out with my friends. And how, how, do we, how do we provide for that in a safe environment? Um, you know, when she entered high school, that was another big change with our, our daughter playing soccer. She immediately had friends who were seniors and juniors and sophomores. And here she is as a a rising freshman in her, uh, in August, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we're going to go grab some food over here. I'm like, okay, I'll be there in a minute. No, no, no. I'm riding with so-and-so. I'm a whole, like, it's a (laughs) different world now. You're riding with someone else. And you know, there there was even a moment then where we, you know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about who we ride with. Let's talk about the, the dangers of, of what a car looks like. Um, and, and so my point there is just, it's hard to over communicate. And I don't mean talking at them or rules or be careful of, because some of that's just going to go in and out, but, but, but making them answer, like, why do you think I'm concerned about it? Give me your thoughts here. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and letting them, you know, process through that in, in the right way. But you know, she messed up, right? My daughter gets in a car as a freshman. This other girl whose you know, brain's not developed either lets her drive it. Um, and she you know, runs into a drive-through building. Oh, uh, you know, that, that literally clips them. You know, and so, okay, now what do costs look like? You know, right. what does it, what's it, how long does it take you to come up with $500 to pay for this mirror? Uh, how, how much time now do we have to fence in the your ability to ride and, and the what does breaking trust look like and so she there was a learning experience where oh i messed up and it took me a while and hey i really like freedom that comes from building trust versus restrictions that come from breaking trust um, again i could have told her that but the experiential knowledge that she has from that made all the difference in the world yeah and by the way that's a challenge with with strong-willed kids, right? You can tell, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove. And, and maybe a kid touches it. But, but, but my kids have to put both hands and and let, you know, (laughs) feel the burn for a bit. Um, you know, that, that's just, they have to feel that a little bit. They'll learn faster that way too, though. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think you you kind of just barely mentioned it, but I think it's maybe worth something looking a little deeper into because as you're talking about asking questions, why do you think I'm concerned about this? Or, you know, I think a lot of times as we're on the front side, we have much more wisdom than our children have as we are looking at, you know, as we're looking into the future of potential outcomes, right? We have like, and the reason we have that wisdom is because we have life experience, but I think maybe there's something worth, um, practicing on a more intentional and a more, and, and on a deeper level with our kids. And that is instead of just telling them all these outcomes, but really presenting it in terms of a question, you know, what's going to happen if, what do you, what's, you know, what are some possible outcomes? What do you think, you know, about this? Or why do you think it's important to be real choosy with who you get in a car with? You know, um, have you ever wondered what kind of freedom you're, you know, or control you're giving up when you sit in the car with someone else, you know? And so maybe there's a level of, you know, fatherhood that comes from asking questions. And I really want to get better at this. And I think that, I think that Christ modeled it perfectly as he modeled everything perfectly, but it is, um, asking questions, you know? And so I'd cure, I'm curious to get either one of y'all's or both of y'all's take on, you know, how can we, how can we maybe use the form of questioning with our children as we're creating rules, boundaries, considerations, et cetera. I think you nailed it. I think it's because it, it, it's relationship, right? Relationship isn't me giving you rules. I mean, there's a, there's a reason we're in the new covenant now and, and it's relationally driven. Um, it doesn't work. Do this, do this, do this. And, and you, you end up, you know, needing reconciliation. <laughs> If you can learn to, and that's hard, it's hard, you know, because you know the answers, right? Right. And, and so it's, it, but it's, it's, it's still difficult yet absolutely necessary to bring two parts of the conversation together. Um, that's also why you mentioned your strong-willed kid, you know, rather than saying this, you end it with a bit of a question, you know, a bit of a buy-in. We did the same thing, you know, we, we tried to give choices. Okay. You, you know, you choose, you can do A, B, or C. Which one of these do you want to do? And the kid has some buy-in at that point. Now, I, I think as they grow older, they they see right through that. But 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 as they grow older, you begin to say, "Look, here's where I'm coming from. What do you think about that?" Makes all the difference in the world. Versus, you know, a kid who, you know, when I was that age, I, I didn't love authority pressing down on me that much either. And so my girls are the same way. So if I'm coming at do this and don't ask why, sure, I, I just don't know if that really goes anywhere. I think there's a time and a season for that. I had a pastor once say that when our kids are young, we're to be Moses to them. And then as they grow older, we're to be Jesus to them. The difference between mm. being that when, when they're five years old, they just have to live under the law. They just do. They just have to clean their room before dinner because I said so. And I have my reasons. You don't need to know my reasons, you know, whatever it is. The ages that we're talking about, though, as we're trying to give them some more freedom, as they're transitioning into young adulthood, and we're trying to extend a little bit more freedom and a little bit more grace, which is what Jesus was all about, how, how do you do that in, in a way that makes sense? This is, this is an area that I'm wrestling with right now with my 13-year-old because on the one hand, 
I'm still his father and I don't feel like I have to justify all of my reasons to him for every decision I'm making that I think is in his best interest. The problem is that as a 13-year-old, he doesn't always understand that I actually have his best interest in mind. Hopefully he does, but he's starting to push back (laughs) on that a little bit. And it's like, I just don't have to justify, justify myself to you. You're 13 years old. Like, just do it. Okay, but now what I'm finding is that actually explaining the why sometimes is really, really helpful. So the other day we were having a a conversation with slightly more forceful tone than we might otherwise want to have. I'll put it that way. (laughs) And he, you know, I, I made it clear that I wanted something done a certain way. And he literally said, there's literally no reason it should be done that way. Basically, if you, you know, he didn't say he wasn't this disrespectful, but like if you had a brain, if you had my brain, if you had a brain in your head, you would realize that this is stupid. Like there's no way that it should be done that way. Because in his mind, there there isn't. He he doesn't understand where I was coming from. So Jackson, let's, let's take five deep breaths. Let's step back. Why do you think this is the reason I'm having you do it this way or that I'm asking you to do such and such. I don't know. There's literally no reason. If you came up with a reason, what might you think? And he kind of begrudgingly actually did come up with a reason that was actually right in line with what I I was thinking. Like I got him thinking the other way. And then I laid out about five other compelling reasons from my perspective. A couple of them he didn't really agree with, but a couple of them he was like, Huh, I never thought of that. You know, and so I think at a certain age, to answer your question, Perry, I have just found that at some point explaining the why is helpful. It can be sure. helpful. It 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 gave him a little bit more sense of peace in executing what I was still requiring him to do. I'm still his father. He was still going to do this. But his attitude was totally better, having a little bit of perspective of where I was coming from. <clears throat> And it wasn't me justifying why I was having him do it. It was just saying, you know what, you're you're you've earned the right to know some of what I'm thinking. You know, it's it's another extension of my giving him freedom by opening a little bit more of my thought process. He's a little bit more Jesus in his life than Moses in his life at that point. Also communicated trust to him, and and uh, you're mature enough. So there's probably a bit of stand up taller. That comes from even that conversation versus I'll beat you down with just do it. That was a really nice moment to transition to that. Yeah. What does, I, I feel like we've covered covered a lot of ground, Perry. I don't know if you have anything else. Um, one sort of final question. I, actually, I have, I have two final questions. Um, let's start here. We, we have talked on this podcast Corey, about about the stages of of the masculine journey as laid out by John Eldridge and fathered by God. But I but I think there has to be carryover to the the feminine journey as well. And the stage that you're fathering your daughters through would I think be sort of the stage of the cowboy, as John Eldridge talks about it for boys. And I understand it with boys. How do you how do you help your boys be cowboys to answer the question, do I have what it takes in life? To ride to challenges and show that they can meet those challenges. So Perry and I have talked about, we took our kids on you know, a hiking trip to the, the top of Mount LeConte to sort of challenge them and high ropes courses, but, but not even like physical challenges, also mental challenges and work challenges and giving them more chores around the farm and those types of things. 
What does that look like for a girl? Are there ways that you have tried to be intentional in shepherding your daughters through this stage where they are trying to answer the very same question boys are trying to answer, which is, do I have what it takes to succeed in life? Do I have what it takes? Are there ways that you've been intentional about that? What does the stage look like for girls? I do think I do think that's important. That it's not a that you know, and Eldridge was important for for my own development. Read, read Wild at Heart at age twenty or what whatever I, I was, and you know, the, learned a lot about you know my own father wound, and learned about about you know my own self inflicted wounds that maybe I projected on my father, and some things like that. But but I do think it's not just a masculine thing. I do think the feminine do I I think that's a human question of do I have what it takes. Um, that 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 ultimately leads us to, in and of myself, no, but but with with God, yes. Uh, that that leads us through the the gospel itself is a question that 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 my daughters are asking as well. Um, and so there are certain aspects of that that are different. You know, I never went dress shopping. I never talked about makeup. And so there there are certain things that my wife or you know is going to walk with them through um that that I'm not really going to be a part of those conversations but most of the conversations uh we're both a part of and they're both very sim- similar um you know we don't necessarily wouldn't use the term cowboy I like it but but that similar thought of you know ha- recognizing when they're pushing boundaries what they're really pushing when they're acting like this what they're really wanting um mm. It, it's. I think it's the same with with boys, and, and and a daughter can carry a father wound, the same as I as a son could carry a father wound. And so, how, how do I number one protect against that, but number two recognize that in our brokenness, there's just some of that that happens. And so, you know, every mistake I make, the forgiveness I get points to the gospel. Every time I get it right, He empowered me to do so, and that points to the gospel. Um, and, and so that that's all a part of the journey. But I think girls are the same. I think they're asking a lot of those same questions. We're we're fortunate um, in our household. This is just us that both of our our, our daughters are athletes and 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 play at a pretty high level of soccer. And so there's some of those things um, that get answered on the field for them. Right. Um, how do I get back up when I get knocked down? How do I deal with uh, adversity. Um, how do I lead someone? How do I uh, not get persuaded by someone? Just, just uh, you know, some of that. So we're, we're thankful um, that team sports has been a way we can do use a lot of of, the, of those teachings to to serve a bigger purpose. I'm assuming that part of that is a balance of letting them learn it through experience on the field and through those trials and hardships. And then there's also a level of debrief that happens, you know, conversation about it. You know, I think that's one of the, I think I would, I I think, and I believe to be true that the big full picture of success in raising our kids and letting experience be such a great teacher for them is that it's not just throw them out into the deep end, let them experience it, let them deal with it, let them figure it out. It's let them have the experience of a really hard soccer game against, you know, girls that are maybe bigger, stronger, faster, you know, getting beat up a little bit, you know, all the things. Right. But it's yes, provide the opportunity for the experience, but also the flip side of that coin is all the discussion, the debriefing, 
the talking points that happen after, whether that's questions or perspective, you know, anything like that, wisdom coming in from the Father's point of view. That's discipleship is in the way it's supposed to be done. That's relationship. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, we, we you, and I listened to your podcast a few weeks ago, and I forget the gentleman's name, who talked about leading his kids on the way yeah. um, from Deuteronomy. You know, and the, the idea uh, of teaching on the way, not now sit down at this chair and I'm going to teach you something, but we just had this experience in life. Let's talk about this. Um, it's exactly what Jesus modeled. I mean, if you, if you look at just, I just finished going through the, the, the Mark, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and I'm on John now. And there's, there's sections in both of those where it's after he's established who he is and that he's divine and he's proved it in every way you want to prove it. Um, where he's on his way to another region, or the way Luke portrays it, he's on his way. Entire he, he Luke makes it look like he's on his way to Jerusalem. Ultimately, that's then where he is. He's on his way, and then on his way, and it's in Luke's. It's called the travel log. All the discipleship principles come into that section. Same with Mark. Like it's not, hey guys, let me teach you this thing, and now I'm gone. There's this doing life together thing that's happening. And they'll experience something, and he'll pull them aside. Or like the, after the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down, and they couldn't cast out this demon. Why couldn't we do that? They've been doing that. Why can't we do this? And he, he's able to teach them a little bit about prayer and fasting uh, with these type. You know? And so there's this, go experience, now let me walk you through it. Go experience, now let me walk you through it. Um, because cause he knew you know, after the ascension, they were going to be doing something that they, I don't think they could wrap their minds around yet. and so paralleling that with kids, there's a point where they're going to be out from under my roof and they're going to be doing something uh, that I don't think they can fully comprehend yet. So how am I discipling and leading and fathering along the way? It, it, it really better be intentional. Well, and it sounds like you are intentional. We're all figuring it out along the way. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really what this podcast is about is just talking with other fathers, trying to figure out what's working for you. What's not working for you. What might you have done differently? We're just, we're figuring this thing out, but I think the key is you're faithful, you're intentional. So I, I honor you for that. I thank you for sharing some of your perspective as we, as we wrap up rewinding five, six, seven years, knowing what you know now, having walked through some of the teenage years with your daughters, what might you have told the Corey Wilson of five, six, seven years ago to maybe prepare yourself better to walk out these last five or six years? Or is there really nothing a father can really do? At the end of the day, it's going to play (laughs) out how it's going to play out. They're going to make the mistakes they're going to make. They're going to be strong-willed and hard-headed in a way that they're going to be strong-willed and hard-headed. And we just sort of have to extend grace as we go along and do the best we can. Or would you have advice for the old Corey Wilson and any other fathers who might be at the front end of walking through some of the journey that you've already walked? Yeah, I think there's some some small practical things that we've already talked about. Um, but I do think there, you know, there are some moments where you just got to take a beat, take a breath. You described that earlier when you were talking about your son, just take a breath. Let me ask you a couple questions. Um, and I think that would have served me well earlier on in, in life. Just take a beat, take a breath. Let's think this through. I do, I do think you got to be careful about the, uh, uh, worshiping at the altar of your ability. Um, I, I, I do think it's important. God's given us scripture. God's revealed himself through it. Uh, there's, there's wisdom uh, that we can use and, and we're fools not to. Um, and so I don't think the second part of that extreme of, you know, whatever happens, happens, that's nonsense. Um, 
but I do think that we have to recognize we can't control things. And I, I am, I am uh, at fault of worshiping at the altar of my control and my success. Uh, and that's idolatry. I mean, at the, when you want to really think about the guys in the Old Testament who got in trouble for idolatry, idolatry they were worshiping things their hand could make, right? So they cut down a tree, carve it up, and they're worshiping this thing uh, or, you know, melt some gold, carve it up. They're, that's, they're not worshiping the thing. They're worshiping their ability to do something. Um, and it's, it's back to the original sin, right? Turn into from God to me. And I think that's going to get you in trouble as a father. And so, yes, use the tools, but recognize you're not under, you're not ultimately God. Uh, you are a steward um, and, and you got to lean on God. And, and beyond that, I guess I would encourage my younger self with don't minimize who God is. Mm. Um, I'll share one piece of scripture and then I know we're, we're, we're landing. But I was reading in Mark recently um, where they get in the, they get, uh, or they go from just feeding four thousand, and they for, they Jesus mentions he warns them about the um, oh here I'll tell you what let me just find it real quick yeah okay so so Jesus uh, warns them uh, about the leaven of the Pharisees right and 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 begins to explain to them you got to be careful and he's really talking about their unfaithfulness well. They think he's talking about forgetting bread. Like they only have one loaf of bread, and they're like, oh, shoot, we just forgot the bread. Now, he begins to, to ask them some really exposing questions. Um, and the reason he does is because the context, they literally just saw him take a little bit of bread and some fish and feed 4,000. Just before that, they saw him do the same with 5,000 5, people. They had seen him do miracles and healings. And and the irony of we don't have enough bread after seeing him twice do the miracles of thousands and thousands of people. And so he, <laughs> he begins asking, you know, do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Uh, and this is Mark 8, uh, 17. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the thousand for the five thousand? How many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? And he's making them. Do you remember when this happened? They said, we picked up 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large basketfuls of broken pieces do you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And then he finished with, do you not understand? And so here they're worried about bread. And Jesus is saying, do I need your loaf of bread? Do and the point is this, and I, my wife and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. It's real easy for me to believe that God's a big God for everybody else. Hmm. So, Brad, if you're talking to me about fr frustrations with raising your kids, I can speak encouragement to you. I can speak you know, promises to you. Perry, if you're doing the same with your youngest, I can tell you why it's all going to work out. I can, I can believe big for you. My, some of my best friends who are raising teenagers, we talk about that. Or, or your business or finances or your church or whatever. I can believe huge for you, and I'm, I'm sincere in that. But when it comes to my own front door, I'll minimize God's ability. And that's what they're doing right here is they, they, had, they had no problem believing Jesus could do miracles for everybody else, but they don't think that he can do it for the 12 of them. Hmm. Um, and so that'd be my encouragement for, for myself as a younger man for all. Don't minimize who God is and what his promises are when you get inside the walls of your own home. He's still the same big God. Yeah, what a great word. No, I just want to say thank you. Um for sharing that message, you know, I mean, thanks for everything. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your devotion as a father, uh, as a husband, you know, as a man of faith. Um, but no, that's a, that's a beautiful picture.
a great reminder to me and for all the listeners to remember to allow God to be himself in our, in our own lives and uh, not to maximize him for everybody else and, and minimize him in our, in our own world. So yeah, that's a beautiful picture. Thank you for sharing that. And with that, we will wrap up this conversation on the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. Stay tuned for more great episodes. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Corey, have a great rest of your day. Perry, likewise. And we will talk with everyone again soon. Take care and be blessed. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying